Welcome to season three of Do Better Research, a learning-focused podcast about research methods. My name is Dr. Suzanne Albury, and I'll be guiding you through research methods to become a better researcher, both for academic study and professional practice. This season, we will be looking in-depth at some new research paradigms, as well as delving deeper into some previous topics. In this wide-ranging conversation with PhD researcher Victoria Holt, we talk about feminist research, the importance of reflexivity and researching marginalised groups. Victoria is a doctoral researcher at the University of Roehampton, exploring sex workers' experiences of domestic and familial abuse. She is an activist with the Sex Worker Advocacy and Resistance Movement, or SWARM, in the fight for decriminalisation of sex work, which is core to the work and research she undertakes. So Victoria, thank you so much for joining me on the Do Better Research podcast. I'm really excited to have you here today. I think it's going to be a really interesting conversation based on your um, research background. And just because you've got quite a specialist research background, and actually I don't want to get it wrong, would you mind telling our listeners what that is? Cool. So I, so my undergraduate was in politics and philosophy, which I did at Birmingham. And I had a dissertation supervisor called Nicola Smith, who was amazing. And she actually recommended that I do a PhD. But I, um, I don't know, I was quite against the idea. So I left. And actually, when I left, I'd been sex working throughout university as well, because I'd gone to university on this really weird, like scholarship um, for like, Jewish people from like I guess um like lower income families so the way that I could earn money at university was very bizarre and I couldn't get a loan so I had been sex working throughout university so when I left university I just carried on sex working because I was like well I don't want to do a PhD and the money's really good so I'll just carry on doing this so I did that for a few years and then I did my master's when I was about 25 and I moved to Brighton for that and that was on I was like dating someone and he was like, he was a a historian in, I guess, the Foucaultian sense. So he was all about like discourses and constructions and sexualities. And he recommended a master's that was at Sussex University, which was the sexual dissidents um, in literature and culture masters. So moved to Sussex, do the master's and then carry on sex working because the money's really good. And like, there was just no reason for me to not like any job I would have taken would have been less money for longer hours so it just didn't make sense for me to leave the industry and then I don't and then round about 2014 or 2015 which was just after I finished the master's I got very involved in sex worker activism and I became involved with the English collective of prostitutes and the sex worker advocacy and resistance movement. And I became very involved in sex worker rights because until then I'd sort of just been like pootling around on my own. I didn't really know any other sex workers. I didn't really know any community. It's against the law to work with people. So I was just very isolated. So I got involved partly just to make friends. And then as time went on, I got more and more involved in this idea of sex workers speaking for themselves and not speaking through other people and the fight for decriminalization. And through my activism, I ended up getting a job at a sex worker outreach project. And I eventually left because I had issues with management because I thought that we should listen to sex workers and they thought that we should just 
tell sex workers what they needed. And there was just this like huge friction there. So I ended up leaving. And then I was just went back to sex work because again, easy money. I know it. I know the field. No reason not to. And then a friend just recommended to me in 2019, why don't you go and do a PhD? As in like, because I was like, by that point, I was hitting my 30s. My time in the industry was quite limited. I'd enjoyed my master's and like all the kind of pieces were coming together. So I found um, an academic called Mark McCormack, who was at Roehampton. And I quite liked the work that he was doing around sort of claims making and critiquing like charity policies and that's sort of what I wanted to do I wanted to critique sex worker charities and from the point of view of the sex worker so I got in contact with him we got on very well we both lived in Brighton he put me in contact with someone else at Roehampton and I ended up putting together a proposal about sex workers who experience domestic violence and the barriers for them accessing services because a lot of services don't um, see sex work as a legitimate form of labour. They And so like the door is often closed before mm. any help can really get there. So that is sort of how I came to do the PhD. So I have a background in sex work a background in sex worker activism, a little bit of a background in sex worker outreach, although I only really did that for like a couple of years. And that's kind of how I came to the PhD. Uh, it's just, it's a, it's an amazing narrative. It's an amazing story. And your journey obviously is quite, is quite an important one in that you understand that lived experience of sex workers and you're actually working with and for that industry anyway. So what is it about doing research that you enjoy? Why do you enjoy the research side of things? So this is going to sound really weird, but one of the things I like about being a PhD student is also what I quite liked about being a sex worker. And I'm not comparing the two in any way, except that the work is very flexible. I don't really have a boss. I can kind of pick and choose when I work. But really, if I don't put the hours in, I'm like, it's going to be on me. So that's like, and it sounds so stupid, like I'm not drawing a comparison between the two, like sex work is kind of awful and exploitative. And actually, I guess being a PhD student is as well. But like, those are the things that I actually quite like about being a PhD student. But really, I think what I love as well is I'm surrounded by amazing thinkers. I'm surrounded by people that are really passionate about making about transforming the world to be a better place. And also I can get on a soapbox and be like, actually, I don't agree with you. And I have some legitimacy. I'm not just like a Mardi prostitute. Like I feel like people actually have to listen to what I say. Whereas mm. before it was very easy and still is maybe to just sort of disregard what I say because I, like, who am I to say anything? Um, so I, so that's kind of what I like as well. But I mean, every day I wake up and I am excited to read and think and write. Like it, it, it energizes me in a way that nothing else has. And I kind of can't really imagine my life not doing it now. Um, like I feel very emotionally attached to my subject, which I and I feel very lucky for that. I don't think that everybody could say that about their work. But there is a sense that your PhD is, a, is an emotional labour, isn't it? You've become very invested in it. 
Yeah, and I, I listen to a lot of podcasts around like social research and like feminist research and, and gender violence research. And I think that that kind of comes with the territory. Like a lot of people that are drawn to researching sex work or violence against women or domestic violence have, are doing it because they've experienced it. Mm. And also if we look at the statistics around domestic violence, statistically speaking, a lot of academics have, have experienced it as well. Um, so it's impossible to be drawn to this subject and not see it as a form of emotional labor. Like it is emotional. And, you know, when I talk to people, when I talk to sex workers about their experiences of domestic abuse, that's not, it's not like, it's not entertainment for me. Like it's not, it's like these awful tragic things have happened and they don't need to happen. We don't need to live in a world where this happens. And I really hope, and I know that other academics hope as well, that their research is contributing to a future that hopefully we don't have to live with this anymore. Mm. Um, so it is emotional, I think. So you you mentioned that um, you have been working kind of on and off doing research. You did your master's, you've been working sort of with a few charities. Is there is there a particular research project that is your favourite or is it your PhD um, so my, one of my supervisors told me recently that I need to kind of, I guess, focus more on my PhD and not on the side projects that I'm doing, <laughs> um, which is totally fair. But I think the favourite thing that I'm doing at the minute is I'm writing a paper with a friend of mine, which is why the Law Commission's review into categorising crimes against sex workers as hate crimes is a misguided and a bad idea. So we're writing a paper about why we're against hate crime policy. And I'm finding that paper very satisfying to write uh, because I am so against having sex work as a protected characteristic in hate crime policy, which sounds very counterintuitive actually, but um, it makes a lot of sense to me. So I'm really enjoying writing that. Is that because you're you're really keen to influence the policy or because you feel like that there is there is a lacking of a particular voice in that policy as it is so I don't have any intention of influencing policy and one of the reasons for that is I don't really think it changes anything like I read lots of academic papers and they're like we hope this will go into influence policy and it's like amazing men are still going to kill women so I don't really know why you think this is worth doing but all right like <laughs> So no, I'm not really into that. The reason why I'm against it is because I don't, the way that the law is around sex work at the minute in this country is it's partially criminalized, which means that it's, it's legal to buy sex, it's legal to sell sex, but it's illegal to have a manager, it's illegal to work from a brothel, which is categorised as two people working from the same premise, even if they're not there at the same time. There's all these laws around it. And I think if you want to stop crimes against sex workers, you have to stop them being vulnerable, which means you have to empower them through legislation, which respects their autonomy and respects them as workers. So... And also the identity of the sex worker can't be compared to say someone who's not white or someone who's gay or someone who's disabled because you can step out of sex work and it's an identity that's actually just a work identity. And so if you want to stop violence against sex workers, decriminalise the sex industry fully or give women money so they don't have to sell sex. But you cannot keep the job criminalised smack a hate crime on it and expect women to be safer 
because they're not going to be. And actually, I would argue it makes them less safe because all you're doing is inviting police presence into their lives. And, you know, often when police know where sex workers are and where they work, they'll issue a closure order and take their money off them. And I know that's happened when sex workers have reported violent clients or burglaries. So no, I think it's a really bad idea. And I'm going to write a paper explaining why. <laughs> that's a really good, a really good and interesting point that you made there about sex work being an identity, but it's an identity that you can put down. I mean, if you're lucky enough to, yes. I guess yeah, what yeah, I'm yeah. saying is it's not. And also, you know, if you come home after work, and as I see, your partner starts abusing you or your family member starts abusing you. Is that a hate crime? Because you're not at work. Mm. Like, so how, how can that even be understood? Because, and, and they might not know you're a sex worker either. Like, it's just, it just doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, but you know, that the idea of identity is, and, and one of the interesting things you said there about they might not know that you're they're a sex worker, but actually reporting those crimes and having their lives intruded upon in that way can put them at risk because people might find out that's what they're doing. Sure, yeah, um, absolutely. So, so all of those, there's a kind of, there's a lot of layers there, isn't there? So one of the reasons that I, I've asked to speak to you today and to, put, and to have you on, on the podcast is to talk to you about um, feminist research and fe- fe- sort of feminist paradigm so would you count yourself as a feminist researcher oh my god absolutely like unquestionably yeah absolutely and like I was when I was writing my methodology chapter I made this um I just wrote in there that you know like to quote Sarah Ahmed like feminism isn't sitting in a classroom it's like I'm living a feminist life and I'm doing feminism and feminism permeates like every part of my research in every way you don't have to be a feminist researcher to research sex work, um, but I absolutely am. Yeah, unquestionably, I, d- I, I don't see how I couldn't be. It's interesting because I spoke to I've spoken to another um, uh, feminist researcher previously, and this is going to be part of like a two part series almost. Um, and and she talks simil- similarly about it being just part of who she is, and it you know it's not just about the research it's about the way that she experiences the world and she understands the world it's it's more than just the identity of being a feminist researcher it's just who she is yeah I mean I think a lot of feminists are wrong a lot of radical feminist writers and thinkers and academics I fundamentally disagree with their entire ontology like I wouldn't even put myself really in the same category as them um we're both we're like we're both feminists and we both are influenced you know by similar thinkers and but I don't align myself with every other feminist and I think a lot of feminists have very damaging like ways of of thinking but yeah it's just it I guess it just feeds into everything that I do. Mm. Again another one of the things I wanted to talk to you about was this idea of um who you work with and why you're working with them and you've obviously given us a really great overview of how you've kind of got into the 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 research and how you got into and why you continued with the in the industry and all of that kind of thing but one of the things I wanted to ask you is how do you go about researching what are considered as traditionally considered as and I'm using air quotations sure yeah the hard to reach groups I mean how how do you work with them how do you include them in your research I mean 
I don't think sex workers are hard to find because I know loads of them. Like, I don't think sex workers are hard to find. Clients don't seem to have a problem finding sex workers either. Sex workers are not hard to find. You can go on any adult service website and find sex workers. What's hard is engaging them in your research, Mm. right? That's what's hard. And for for good reason. Why should a sex worker want to talk to you? Like, really? So I don't actually think they are hard to find. And I, when I hear researchers talk about sex workers as a hard to find populace, I mean, it's hard for them to find because sex workers deliberately, knowingly separate themselves from, I guess, like outsiders um, because, you know, it's criminalised, it's stigmatised and also it's a work identity they're trying to earn a living like they don't want some outsider to come knocking asking them lots of questions when they're just trying to when they're trying to work so the chances are you know lots of sex workers because they might be your friends or your neighbors or mums at the school gate or whatever but they're not going to tell you the sex workers so i i find the the kind of you know the the concept of sex workers being a hard to find community they're not they just don't want to talk to you. They're just like, and they're wor- they're working under different names and they're working away from the home. And yeah, so I just, I don't want to sound like blasé about it or like, I know loads and you don't, but it's just, it's more like, if you don't know any sex workers, if you find sex workers hard to find uh, and hard to talk to, maybe you shouldn't be researching them. Maybe you're an outsider and don't really know enough about the community. You shouldn't really come to it and expect to be let in. It comes back to that that, that point you made earlier about you worked in that outreach programme and it was about people in authority. And again, I'm using these I kind of air quotes sure. saying um, these are the things that you need. And actually sex workers going, no, these aren't the things that I need. And you, and you being very aware that they're not actually talking to these people and listening. They're just kind of imposing an authority on them yeah and it's something that I see in not all research obviously I do think there are is amazing research on the sex industry and I also I just want to be clear like I don't think you have to be a sex worker to research the sex industry but I don't think it's unreasonable to say if you don't know any sex workers or you're finding them really hard to engage with don't research them like, what are you even bringing to this community that you mm. don't know? Like, and I think that's a really legitimate question that people should ask themselves. But one issue that I do see a lot is when I decided to do my PhD in research, sex work and domestic violence, I spoke to quite a few of my friends who are sex workers and I kind of put the idea to them because I knew that I'd experienced domestic violence and I knew that other friends of mine in the sex industry had, but I didn't know if it was like enough of a thing to actually is it a thing that I can research or is it just something that happened to me and so the more that I spoke to people the more I realized that not only is it so prevalent but the domestic violence took on a very particular um it took on a very particular like way of being when the victim was a sex worker and so when I see research that is just like on sex work and sexually transmitted infections or sex work and the police or sex work and drug use or sex work and child sexual exploitation. I think you're kind of just like researching the same thing over and over again. And the reason for that is because your only knowledge of the sex industry is through other people's research. 
It's not through talking to sex workers. It's not through asking them. It's not through working with them. It's not even through being one. It's just through reading other papers that other people have written. So the same thing gets researched over and over again. And it doesn't need to be like, it doesn't need to be like that. But that's kind of what I see a lot. I mean, I was trying to do some writing around sex work and motherhood. And I could find, I think maybe eight papers. And this is like huge. Like most people who are in the sex industry are doing it because they need money to look after their families. But no one's researching it. And I just thought like, maybe they're just not talking to sex workers enough to know that this is a thing that happens. Mm. But yeah, so I just, I find it quite maddening really. If you don't know sex workers or you don't know the community, you might find that going through a sex worker outreach service is the best way to engage with sex workers, right? So who are the people most likely to be involved Mm -hmm. in services? People who are not going to tell you they've got children because of safeguarding issues. People who might have chaotic drug use. Like, So that's also why the same issues get asked over and over again. Um, So it's kind of an issue of like but like attrition rather than actually that being the case on the ground. I think you make some really interesting points there around, and it ultimately it comes back to the ethics of doing research, right? So why are we researching these, these groups? Why are we, why are we as, as individual researchers choosing to do research in this area and whether or not we have the lived experience to make that. And it's, it's predominantly obviously a, a qualitative researcher mindset I guess Mm. which you know I I very much am but if I've got no understanding or no experience of sex work and or sex workers and I don't know that I know any sex workers because I think that's probably a better representation than me saying I don't know any sex workers how am I qualified to have these conversations with these people how am I qualified to be able to show them the kind of empathy and respect that they need to be able to feel like they can speak to me that there is a kind of a fundamental virtue ethics thing in there when I was writing my methodology I so I have this blog and like a lot of my blog tends to be just like tearing apart of the papers that I've read (laughs) um which again my supervisor keeps telling me I shouldn't do that but like I because for all the the papers that I've read about this is how to do a sex work methodology this is how to do ethics in sex work this is the and there are some amazing papers out there and yet it's still a huge barrier to accessing um or finding gatekeepers to a community that people want to research right and the issue becomes circular so bad research is done sex workers see it they think i don't want to engage with researchers researchers are not going to be put off by that so they're just going to do the research anyway and it's going to be so like it becomes this really circular issue but i whilst i don't want to have like a blueprint for good for good research and fair research and fair representations i did do like a five point step which I'm happy to read out because I do think it's quite important and the the thing that I wanted to make clear was one of the reasons I don't believe that just having sex workers as part of the research team is enough to kind of get over the ethical issues is because and I draw a lot on black feminism and their writings on critical reflexivity for this there is no universal subject 
right? So yeah, I was a sex worker and I was a sex worker for 10 years, but I'm white, I'm able-bodied, I'm university educated, like I consider myself to be very middle class. I'm not the same as most of the sex workers. So how arrogant would it be if I was like trying to do research for outdoor based substance using migrant sex workers? Like we're not the same. I can't pretend that we're the same. So I try to have like a working, I guess it's more just like a set of questions because to me, and this comes back to your question on, sorry, I feel like I've like gobbled on a bit, but like this comes back to your question on feminist research. And to me, what makes research good research and feminist research is honest and rigorous reflexivity. Mm. Like, and that is something that I see researchers pay very good lip service to. And they'll fill in the ethics form and I will do this and I will do that. And then they just fuck over the communities they say that they are supposed to be working for. Like, like I'll give an example. Like when I'm in Swarm, the sex worker advocacy um, movement, I was in a meeting with two researchers who'd been given funding to do um, something on sex work, doesn't matter what it was. And I swarm, I was like, I don't actually feel comfortable with this. I feel like you've gone, filled in the ethics, got your funding. And then as an afterthought, you want to engage with the communities of sex workers. And what you actually want is me to just provide some prostitutes for you to talk to. And I'm not going to do that. Like, if you wanted sex worker involvement, you should have really had that from the start and like mm. the shaping of your research process. And if you didn't want to do that, you shouldn't have pretended that that's what you wanted to do. I think it's it's really valuable for my colleagues and and, le- and like later career colleagues to hear, but also it's so important for early career academics and early career researchers who are just getting to the point where they're starting to think about either the, their design or what they want to do. And I think there's a there's a hugely important point there about making sure that we are engaging our participant group, whoever that is at a point where they actually have an influence about how the research is done because I don't want to be you know we need to stop advocating the we need to advocate the idea of research being done with not to so the first thing was for researchers to be really honest about their motivations for research be honest with yourself be honest on your applications forms and be honest with your participants as well because you know you asked me before about do I want this to change policy like your research might not change the world it might just be knowledge for the sake of knowledge and that is fine that's a noble reason to research but if that is the reason why you want to research sex work you've got to be really honest about that and be honest about you know your motives for engagement and that will also manage the, the expectations of the participant group that you're going to be researching. If I bound up and I'm like, yeah, this will go some way towards decriminalisation. No, it's not. <laughs> That's fine. It doesn't have to. But just be, maybe be honest about that as well. My second point is for researchers, and this is so important, to interrogate possible excitement or sensationalism around working with sex workers and why you might be feeling like this. Because sex workers deal with this a lot from family members, friends, friends of friends, boyfriends, other members of their network. And sex workers are really highly attuned to people that just kind of want the um, coolness by proximity, (laughs) right? But like, seriously, and we're not cool. We're really boring. Like we just stay at home with our cats and never go out. Like, honestly, but 
If you want to research the sex industry because of assumptions of seediness or sexually explicit culture or danger, then I think that it, you have to really reflect on where these assumptions come from, why this is so appealing to you and how it might make your participant feel if they know this. The third point is don't assume what's best or what's worst or what is upsetting for participants because rape or sexual assault might not be the worst thing that's happened to a sex worker and maybe the law or access to legal justice is not what they consider to be particularly important or maybe the violence that they find most frightening is from their boyfriend or a family member and not a client and so when they're talking to you or they want to talk to you about something they might not be as upset about something as you think they might be or the topics that you consider to be relevant might not be very relevant for them and so because of this you should check with the sex worker communities you want to research before you embark on research on topics that you consider relevant which means that and this is the fourth point but it comes back to something I've said before you even start your research, before you fill in your ethics or your, your PhD proposal form or whatever, engage with sex workers before you set out on this. Because again, the topic that you want to do, so let's just say sex workers and barriers to reporting to the police, right? That might not actually be something that sex workers care very much about. Like that might not be something that police care about that that just might not be something that's particularly important to them and if you don't know any sex workers to even have this preliminary chat to I suggest you probably shouldn't be doing research in the first place like there really ought to be some kind of grounding in soft knowledge or professional experience or even social networking that's brought you into contact with this member of a community that you want to know more about and if you don't know any I really think you need to ask yourself very carefully why you want to research them. And the fifth point, and this is also important, is be clear about what you mean by sex worker and which sex workers you want to work with and why this particular group is most appropriate for your research. Because, you know, when I worked in... Um, like, my spare room and I worked in my flat, I was working in a very different way with very different like targets and goals and reasons for working than other people. Like I'm not married, I don't have children. Please God, I never will be. But like, so I, I'm not a caregiver, so I didn't need that money for my family, but lots of sex workers are mums. So like, actually our reasons for sex working might be very different. And so, you know, some people will have transactional sex and not consider themselves sex workers. And some people call themselves sex workers who've never actually had sex. You know, they might be strippers or webcam performers. So be very clear about who you mean when you say sex worker, which group of sex workers you want to research and why this is the case. So, yeah, so those are like the five points that I think. And, you know, no research can ever be perfect. I'm sure that if any of my research ever sees the light of day, I'm sure that there are lots of sex workers that will really not like what I've done or really not like what I've said and and that's fine but you know it has to be fair and it has to be representative mm. and there's lots of research that's that's neither and I think those five points I mean the really important thing there is that they're not just it's not just limited to sex work and sex workers you know you could interpose any community any group into that and those five points still stand 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Alison Phipps, who was professor of sociology at Sussex, recently taken up a position at Newcastle. On her blog, she wrote about researching marginalised communities, and she has this like list of questions you should ask yourself. And Professor Sun Sunny Singh on Twitter also had this list of like, if you want to write about a community, if you want to write about a topic, are you the best person? Are you part of this community? What are you bringing? Are you aware of the power imbalances? So I feel like these can be transposed onto lots of do like marginalized communities or mm. you know oppressed communities or criminalized communities or whatever. I say sex work because that's what I know. But I think like the drug taking community or maybe the migrant populace as well. Like any of these objectified, marginalized, criminalized groups. I think. That's really interesting. And like, those are some of the ways that we can ensure that the participants that we're researching are receiving fair representation, that they're getting what they want out of the research process, even that's even if that's just having their voices heard, making sure that we're representing their voices in an accurate and fair way. Because that's one of the sure. big things that I'm I, I I really feel quite strongly about is that we we take data from people we take interviews or we do focus groups or we do you know whatever it is um but whether or not we're actually representing them fairly when it comes to writing it up in particular because it's very easy to cherry pick things um we talk about you know thematic analysis and your coding your theme but actually what that does is it's almost reductionist and we need to be really careful yeah absolutely yeah, and, and that goes for any research, I think. I mean, so, like, even on my blogs, I get two or three friends to read over each post, all of whom either are sex workers or have been, to be like, do you think I'm being fair? Do you think this is the right thing to say? Do you think this is... And, like, a friend of mine, she's um, she's a sex worker with a sex worker advocacy group, um, a different one in another country, and she was employed by a researcher to do some research and to go out and interview people. And she wasn't allowed to do any transcription analysis or dissemination. She was really just employed to kind of find sex workers and interview them. And she felt really upset by that because she's like, they're going to get it all wrong. Like they're not going to like the certain language that we use, the certain code words that we use, the certain like ways of referring to things. She's not going to pick up on that. Like she's going to kind of talk around. And the fact that she won't, she didn't allow my friend to, um, do anything more than just go out and find sex workers and interview them meant that that's kind of what she saw her as she didn't see her as a colleague she didn't see her as a peer she saw her as a mm. sex worker like and like and yeah I think that's important as well I mean there are a lot of I know that Eleanor Jeffries who's part of oh I can't remember what it's called but they're based in Australia um and also like Zara Stardust she's a sex worker activist as well as a legal scholar they all have like opinions and you know they're all advocate sex workers as peer researchers and like there's this amazing critical mass of sex workers who are just saying actually pass the mic like <laughs> I don't need to talk to you and have you like just pass the mic I'll, I'll say what I need to say because it's so important that we're given the opportunity to not talk through people or like that we actually yeah are given these spaces um ourselves yeah, so, I mean, hopefully that will happen more and more and more. And the more sex workers are in positions of, like, research and academia who can be out and say, like, you know, I'm a prostitute and I'm doing this, hopefully more people will be inspired to kind of take up that position. Does that make sense? 
Yeah, and I think that's a really important point, isn't it, about, in a lot of ways, um, breaking down these barriers between what is an expert and what is someone who has lived experience. So academics are not necessarily the experts. We're not, and it's, I get really frustrated with the idea that we are somehow different, you know, ultimately the best researchers will be researchers that are researching communities that either they're part of or they have experience of they know well they're they're embedded with because that's where because that's them they're researching something one they know about but also they're passionate about they're interested in that's who they are yeah and I and I think that comes back to one of the points I made which is you might just be interested in it because you find it fascinating because you find it seedy and Elizabeth Bernstein in her um her critique of the what she calls the Christian rescue industry. She writes about how this like proximity to a sexually explicit culture is very appealing to Christian people who work in outreach, who go and want to save sex workers. Like just being in that world is exciting to them. Um, and you know, and I get it. Like I I totally get it. Like that's why Soho was seen as this like exciting, like red light place. But that isn't the good enough grounds to do research. And actually, those assumptions are really damaging and they're really objectifying. They're really fetishizing, which which means that they're really dehumanizing as well. And yeah, so I, I think so I'm kind of split on like, you know, should you only do sex work research if you're a sex worker? And I'm 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 kind of split on that. But ultimately, I don't think. I don't think that that's the case. I think you can do fair, accurate, good research if you're honest with yourself, if you know the community. Like, yeah, which might, you know, sex workers will have a problem with me saying that, and that's completely fine. But, um, yeah, so I, I think that's kind of where I'm at with it. I think that just comes back to your point, and I one that I think is worth reiterating again is about that reflexivity, though. You need to be honest with yourself you need to be doing this reflection regularly to figure out exactly what you're trying to do what you're setting out to achieve and why you're doing it Um, and as long as you can answer those questions honestly fairly and with integrity I think it's okay yeah absolutely absolutely I mean I look at some of the research my friends are doing on like queer nightlife or like um you know the fetish scene or whatever and I think it's so interesting but like you know I couldn't I couldn't research queer nightlife because I like never go out and I'm not queer (laughs) and like I just I wouldn't know anything so like it it kind of blows my mind that people think oh I'll just research the sex industry even though they don't know anything about it like I could never do that I find that really yeah I find that really strange but have it but weirdly having said that I researched domestic violence as well and I've experienced domestic violence myself, but I don't know if that actually brings anything to my research. It might, but I just don't actually know if it does. Yeah, so I'm still, I'm still kind of, other than it helps me shape questions, maybe. Mm. So I'm still like, I, maybe I just need to, like, maybe I just need to see a therapist and, like, really go deep <laughs> with it. But, like, you know, I, I just don't know if it does. It's interesting that you're so, you're so sure that, you know, having been a sex worker, that brings something to that aspect of the research. But the other fairly kind of big, he- what you might call kind of heavy piece of research, you're not sure whether or not that's, that same kind of vibe happens. That's, it still feeds Yeah, in. although interestingly, so I was trying to find something the other day on, um, 
on um, domestic violence and the middle classes, right? So how do people that are rich, basically, how do they experience domestic violence? Because a lot of the, especially UK-based literature I was finding was usually like lower economic status, right? And I thought, if we take for granted that domestic abuse cuts across racial, religious, sexual and socioeconomic backgrounds, why is this not reflected in the literature? Like, why is it usually only like people that are working class or engaged in services or like, you know, lower income? Why are they only in the literature? And I thought, is it because researchers who are overwhelmingly middle class don't really turn the lens on themselves or their own community? Is it because they only go through services, again, which might only have people who are, you know, not rich engaged in them? Because I think actually it's really important to ask questions like, you know, how does money cushion abuse? How does it stop people from intervening? How does it like prevent the school from knowing? Like, how 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 does money change abuse? Because if, if we know that, people with less money stay in abusive relationships because they can't afford to leave. What does that say about people who can afford to leave? Like there's so Mm. much interesting stuff out there that I'm just not seeing research. And I thought, and yet statistically academics, middle-class probably have experienced it. It just doesn't, it just doesn't fit for me. Like it just didn't really make sense. There is a massive gap there, isn't there? Huge gap, huge gap. And I'm interested in it. Like, would love to do more reading around it. Again, I and like I'm from a very middle class Jewish community in Manchester. And like I talked to my mum and my mum's friends and like very prevalent. Like my dad was abusive. I was in an abusive relationship. Like like I remember seeing posters for Jewish women's aid at the back of the toilet doors in the synagogue. Like it's a thing that happens. Not that all Jews are middle class, but like it's a thing that happens. And yet I just don't really see it in the literature. And I just think like the fact that I'm middle class and experienced it definitely has helped me be more attuned to the fact that it's not there like I don't see it right so maybe it does but it's just in like yeah and maybe also in terms of identity I see myself as a sex worker not a survivor of domestic abuse just a sex worker who happened to have been in like a couple of shitty relationships that's kind of more how I see it Mm. um but yeah so I think it it does inform my research and it does inform the critical eye that I have on research as well I think I had never really thought about it but yeah you're right in, in terms of like there are there are gaps but we don't see them necessarily because as you said it's it's very easy to not turn the lens on ourselves and it might just be because, like, we don't see it, maybe. Mm. Um, and, you know, it might be something as banal as to be ethical. I found participants through women's aid or rape crisis or whatever. And, you know, middle class women tend not to use these services. Well, why? Mm. Why? Like, it's not and it can't be an issue of, like, shame, because shame isn't only something that middle class people feel like. Like, why? So, yeah. Yeah, I don't really, um, yeah, I don't really understand it. Sounds like there's some, there are some deeper questions to be asked in there around kind of hierarchical structures. Oh, always, um, always. But, but that, that's, I mean, part of that is, is the feminist, feminist researcher and, you know, thinking about 
power structures and things like that. And also realising that gender isn't actually really the only axis on which we Mm. can look at domestic abuse, right? Like we understand it's gendered or like a lot of feminists believe that it's a gendered crime. But also we also have to be really intersectional with it. Like how Mm -hmm. does class play into this? How does race play into this? How does religion play into this? Like how does it work if like the victim is a woman of colour and the perpetrator is a white man? Like how does white... Uh, white supremacy play into this as well like it's not sorry radical feminists but it's not actually just about gender like Mm. it is about lots of other stuff as well um so yeah so I'm like just constantly constantly percolating about this which is good percolating is good and I think is part of what makes a really good academic is the that constant input reflection output process if you're going to think about it in a really mechanistic way it's not you know research in itself is not a linear process no part oh, of it research shouldn't be right should no, it absolutely it's definitely iterative and it grows and it develops for various reasons and depending on what you're reading and quite frankly if you're not changing how you think and how you feel based on what you're reading and what you're researching you're limiting yourself to stuff that only inputs the same ideas that you already have oh yeah so that comes back to what we were talking about before right which is like how um if your only knowledge of a subject is based on other research that's been done rather than like even just like conversations with people or whatever yeah you do it just becomes a bit of an echo chamber really um and again and and what i always come back to is like domestic violence is so pervasive sex work is not going away you cannot criminalize it out of existence like it, it is here especially while women are poor sex work is going to exist so like we owe it to everyone who's living with violence and living um with poverty which is a form of violence as well we owe it to them to do better research really mm. that's who we owe it to um yeah so that's kind of what i believe in and to be honest i think that's a perfect place to end with you saying do better research yeah yeah <laughs> yeah Thank you so much for having me. Victoria, thank you so much. It's been a fascinating conversation.